Good morning. It's Tuesday, March 31st, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Trey Scott, and today I'm joined by Chris Hummer to talk about something that I really don't want to talk about, the fate of the 2020 college football season. Chris, as the coronavirus pandemic sweeps through the United States with over 151,000 cases and 2,700 confirmed death at the time of this recording, and as an optimistic deadline for reopening the country moves from Easter weekend to the end of April, it's time to start asking the question, what's the timeline for college football programs needing to safely and adequately prepare for the season? I would, I would kind of like to just bring it into a metaphor real quick. Imagine if you're preparing to run a marathon, uh, 23 miles, and your training is cut completely short. Essentially, you've been running one mile burst, and then you're told to go to the start line and try to run a 23-mile marathon. You're going to get about three miles in and think, oh my God, what did I do? And I think that's kind of the case with college football right now. People are thinking September 1st or that weekend is kind of the start date, and that's not the case at all because in order to bring players back safely, college football really needs to get started in June or early July for teams to have time to ramp up ahead of practices. So those off-season conditioning months that people don't really talk about right that often are super important in terms of preparing players' bodies for the rigors of the season. And I talked to quite a few coaches across the country last week for a story, and for the most part, they're saying guys have to be in by mid-June or early July for us to start the season safely and on time. So I think that's kind of the target date we have to look at, not September. So, so June or July, like that's, do we see that being flexible at all? Like if we said June now, would we start to get pretty queasy if we moved it up to July or do you think July is like, okay, we got July and we have enough things and enough to work with now. I don't think July is ideal. I think legitimately like in order to ramp up for training camp, which is full on like contact practices, players are going to need two months, essentially 60 days of kind of time to get ready to fully be healthy. But I think if you opened up periods in July in terms of opening up the practice window, allowing players to participate for a little longer of a period, maybe institute some two-a-day opportunities for teams to work on conditioning in July, that's possible. But like if you get to August and this like training camp hasn't opened or people are not on campus conditioning, I think you really start to run the risk of the season not starting on time. Yeah, I think just to catch everyone up now, obviously nobody's going to have spring football. If you didn't already have it before the pandemic hit, and a few teams did have it, then you're not going to have it now. And I, Chris, remember when this all kind of hit, I guess, well, I don't know, like 18 days ago. And it was, all right, you know, they're canceling through, I don't I don't April or March or whatever. Yeah, like April like, 15th. Yeah, but you still thought like some spring games might happen. And it's the timeline keeps moving. And obviously that kind of gets a little bit depressing and demoralizing and, and scary. And and look, like what's happening across the country, like college football p- pales in comparison here, but that's what we're talking about on the on the podcast. So that's we're obviously keeping everything in perspective, but that's 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 what we're talking about. Do, do, what's this like it does seem the sense is as the days go by that we are in a little bit more jeopardy of not having a season does it but don't you think we're going to have some sort of season i think given how much money is in this sport and for like just kind of think about it football 
Football is really the only sport on most FBS camp- campuses that puts money back in the athletic department. At a lot of the major schools, your Texas, your Alabama, your Michigan, your Ohio State, football is responsible for almost three-fourths of the revenue the department brings in, which helps pay for other sports. And the idea of losing a football season is devastating to an athletic department's budget and kind of to kind of the sport itself. So there's going to be a significant emphasis on having a season. It's just a question on what it'll look like. Will we lose games? Will fans be able to attend? I think I think the college football world will try to do whatever it can to at least have the games on TV to kind of take in those tier one rights that kind of account for such a large swath of their budgets. But it's, I think it's a little too soon to say like the season won't happen. Like I know Kirk Herbstreet kind of raised some alarm bells when he said that. I think it's a little premature. Like even scientists don't know where this virus is going. But I think it's it's certainly in the discussions for coaches and administrators that we might have to pivot a little bit. Like we might have to get creative to ha- make the season happen. And this idea of starting the season um, in June or July is kind of just the first step in that method. I think um, we saw that's the- not happening. That the the Sports Business Journal report that like that where you move the season up like a few months. Or do you mean or do you mean like where you have like sp- like fall camp in July? I mean, like having additional practices in July, maybe uh, closing down stadiums to play. There was fans. a report. There, were, there was a report this weekend. Sorry, um, that college college administrators had talked about like starting the season in July to get ahead of the winter curve if they're expecting a boomerang of, of COVID nineteen. But like that makes no sense to start a college football season like playing the games in July, like. Yeah, no way. That one's <laughs> so tough too because, like, about. even scientists aren't one hundred percent sure COVID nineteen is going to kind of uh, lessen in the summer months. Like, it's that's thought it's going to happen that way because past viruses in this strain have kind of responded in the summer months and they've kind of gone dormant a little bit. But we have no guarantee that that's going to happen in college football. And the fact that they're suggesting the season could happen in July is just not possible because they have not had time to get these players prepared to play a season in July. So that I mean, idea would be disastrous. It would be disastrous. You want to talk about player safety. Hey, guys, I know you're not in shape. Go play at Kyle Field in 110 degree temperatures for four hours. Yeah. So also like leave your families, go isolate yourself on campus by yourself. You're not getting educated in the summer because all the professors are going to be gone except for virtual learning. And you're asking those guys to go compete in the middle of July. The out kind of the outrage that would come with that would be pretty extreme. I don't think that's a tenable solution for college football. Well, that's one of the, so that's one of the concerns I have with the college football season starting on time, at least or, or normally, is the the college component of this. In the NFL, Chris, I'm convinced the NFL is going to happen. Roger Goodell is having a draft regardless. You know, like he, this is an entertainment thing for the NFL. The NFL, Roger Goodell does not care if the Jacksonville Jaguars filled their draft needs. He cares about having a draft. They will have a season, even if they have to go play in Siberia. College football teams are a little bit different because you're not paying the players. Your players have to be a function of the university. There's no guarantee that the universities are going, and I, we sound so, so doomsday right now. Just, we're just talking through this. There's no guarantee that the universities will open on time. Can, can you have college football without school being in session on campus? Maybe. Do you have enough testing to, to test all the players? Maybe at that point. Um, is there a, a liability with that that's involved that's not an issue in the NFL? Probably so, but you just kind of get a sense. I just have this hunch that some 
they're going to have to do they're they're going to have to play some version of college football because if March Madness, if losing March Madness is a one billion dollar hit, college football is a six and a half billion dollar hit, according to an article by Dennis Dodd on CBSSports.com. Like you, you mentioned it, you can't lose that money. That's eighty percent of athletic department budget is made up of football revenue. If we did not have a college football season, the ripple effects would be tremendous. I mean, you're talking about colleges and academia. You're talking about college athletic programs. You know, you might have to cut tennis or swimming or you're, you're talking about ESPN, talking about TV, talking about the economy. It's, you can't put a, you don't know what's going to happen with coronavirus, but I would assume there has to be some sort of abbreviated season, Chris, which is, we've talked, you've seen some people talk about, well, maybe you play nine games or you kind of cancel like the, you know, Alabama versus Furman of the world games. Like, do you like that idea at all? I, I mean, I'm at the point at this point, like I don't love the idea of canceling anything. I think it's a little too soon. What we're seeing right now is we're at May 31st for a lot of conferences, uh, essentially restricting organized team activities through that date. As long as if you can come back in June or you can come back in July, as we talked about earlier, you're fine. But I think there are ways to kind of get creative. I think canceling some of those smaller non-conference dates make a lot of sense. Maybe you can push things back into uh, October when the TV revenue really starts kicking in for um, some of those conference games. Maybe you can have an abbreviated season. I don't, there's not really an elegant solution. And the problem with all of this is like, unlike the NBA or the NFL, like you mentioned with Roger Goodell, like they have one single voice kind of operating at the top of this food chain and college football, what you have are essentially 10 different conferences that have their own priorities. In addition to the NCAA, in addition to a lot of television partners, which have a lot of money invested in these things and have a significant say in what occurs and trying to get them on a uniform kind of level where you shift something that's kind of patchwork in the first place, like the college football schedule, while beautiful, is certainly a patchwork event. And it goes down to the last minute in like June and July when things are set. Like it takes time to put that together. You're asking a lot of those kind of organizations and bodies to kind of come up with something that works on the fly. So while I could see like some sort of abbreviated schedule as to what that looks like right now is just so up in the air because there's just not a lot of clarity in terms of how each individual kind of entity thinks. But at, as you said, I would be, I would be very, very surprised if there wasn't some sort of college football presence this season. It's just too costly not to have it. Too costly not to have. And I, when the, when March madness announced no fans, I remember being really bummed out. And then 24 hours later thinking to myself, man, I wish I could go back and be appreciative that they were just going to have it. I think if college football could safely do it without fans, that would be a win at this point. And and maybe that's just me being pessimistic, but you would still am I tell me I'm wrong here as as far as the money that you would get from TV would still be great enough to make it worthwhile, right? Even if you're not getting at gate revenue. Oh, yeah. I mean, the at-gate revenue is going to be pretty devastating to a lot of programs. You're talking $20, $25 million kind of out the window. But like if you're a conference like the Big Ten, when your kind of share is 45 to $60 million every year, you can get by as an athletic department based on that TV revenue. It's going to really hurt some of those smaller conferences, but the, at least the Power Five conferences, the teams that the large majority of the public cares about. And don't get me wrong, I love Group of Five football. I love covering and I love following it. Like those bigger schools are going to be fine if you might have to kind of tighten your belt a little bit to kind of get by, but you're going to be okay with just TV revenue. 
But what it will hurt, and I think this is something that might happen in the future, and it's probably a podcast for another day, but kind of the ecosystem of college athletics is going to change eventually and push more towards those upper-tier programs, and maybe eventually we see conference realignment when some of these TV contracts end in 2025. What I think could happen is if we go a season where there's no fans or like the TV revenue is cut for some of the smaller schools that make less money, I think you're going to see that kind of accelerated a little bit. And some of those smaller conferences and some of those schools that depend on TV revenue and football to kind of fund their program aren't going to be able to sustain to the level they had before. Well, that's interesting because you mentioned the group of five and I thought, okay, American, which has ESPN. But you probably start moving down your list of the group of five conferences and and maybe you get to a point where you're losing money if you're playing without fans in the stands and your TV deal is not is not large enough, right? Yeah, and I, I would I would point out like a lot of those smaller conferences, like they don't they don't make enough money. Like the individual teams don't make enough money to subsi- like to fund themselves. They're essentially subsidized by the university. A lot of the power programs, like we mentioned earlier, put money back into the university, a couple million dollars a year in a lot of cases. Like those smaller G5 schools, a lot of them are like, they have to lean on the school to fund their program. And those, I think Connor did a podcast on this recently. Essentially, the school is hoping that their investment in football and making football their front porch will make them successful enough to gain a higher quality of students, boost enrollment, endowments, and stuff like that. But those schools that are having to put money in their football programs are going to have to essentially double down on that if we lose a season. And like the financial kind of aspect of this could be catastrophic if a season doesn't go on as planned for a lot of those smaller schools. Who's making the call here? Is this Mark Emmert? Is this conference commissioners? Conference commissioners and presidents. Those so are we're all going to follow and athletic directors. We're all going to follow the lead then of the SEC, right? Yeah, SEC and Big Ten. It's hard to imagine the SEC not doing college football. Yeah, I think I don't remember who I saw it the other day, but I I think if somebody said that if you just told fans in the SEC that there would be football if you hunkered down for a month, they would do it in an instant. But a lot of those, anyway, that might be getting too political. But a lot of some <laughs> communities are reticent to kind of um, kind of shelter in place. But if you threaten football, who knows? But yeah, the yeah, SEC you got close. You got close. You got close sure. on the political line there. You got real. You got right up on it. Um, no, but like Greg Sankey mentions these contingency plans. You, would, I'm just. I maybe I'm putting too much trust in the SEC, but you would assume that something happens. It's interesting that we're talking about. I wasn't sure how the combo would go. We've ended up talking about the economics of it. The college football season, though, undoubtedly, is going to be affected by this, regardless of what happens from today on, right? You don't have spring practice for so many teams. You have, you look at your contenders across the board, Georgia, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator, Alabama, new quarterback, Michigan, new quarterback. You look at some of your powers, Clemson, same quarterback, same coordinators, Ohio state, same coordinate, same quarterback, a different breed of coordinators, but kind of the same system, um, Oregon, new quarterback. So, you know, we'll, Maybe we'll save all those bullets for the next few months, Chris, of you know doing a profile on why Texas A&M is in a good spot and why Michigan's not. But there's no doubt that college football, you're probably going to have a little bit more parity this year, I would think, uh, if, if you don't have your regimented spring practice and, and off-season conditioning. Because can you imagine all the people out there, like everyone listening to the podcast and us like we're trying our best to stay in shape with body weight and with eating think about all these players 
19 year olds who some of them come from, you know, poor income families that might be affected by COVID-19 to the point where they're not getting their proteins or their nutrients and they're not going to the squat rack and they're not, they're not getting on the track. You just imagine that the ripple effect of the quality of football we're going to have is, is going to be tremendous. Yeah, I completely agree. The fact that I am like literally just running and doing body weight stuff right now, and I'm probably doing the same workouts that 60% of college athletes are, is kind of a scary thing for college football. I think there certainly will be a dose of parity, but I also, I think that's probably a conversation for another day or another podcast. But I think there sure. are like levels of teams that are going to be more successful in this environment that have to do with returning starters and coaches, but also kind of the athletes they're looking for. Uh, like I think Barden mentioned this in a column the other day, and it's a really good point that a Baylor, a team that kind of relies on scouting players and kind of coaching them up at a different level than maybe an Alabama does, which kind of has the freaks on campus already, is going to suffer more in those instances because those practices are really important to kind of getting time with those guys and kind of building them up over time. And without those, I think the kind of power programs that have the freakish athletes and the guys that are more ready to play are going to be advantaged. Um, One thing I did want to point out, um, uh, just from my story in general is we're going to probably see an uptick in injuries if we don't have people back either. Um, the only really comparable situation we have to this in high level football is the NFL in 2011, uh, had a CBA negotiation that essentially took, um, players out of off season workouts for four and a half months and injuries were essentially up that season by about 37%. And those are, um, conditioning injuries like ACLs, Achilles, soft tissue injuries that were probably be more preventable soft tissue injuries. And speaking of Achilles, there were, I think, 12 Achilles injuries that off season in terms of training camp when they got back within a one month period. The previous two seasons, including the off season, there had only been 16 total in the NFL. So this could have a really significant impact on just players' bodies when they get back. They're, we're going to see an uptick in injuries if people don't have a kind of a runway to get ready for the season. Yeah, I went on a jog the other day and almost snapped my ankle. I think I'd atrophied so much. I kind of feel I feel better talking talking through all this with you, Chris. I feel a little bit more optimistic about the, the fact that we're going to have a college football season in some sort. And maybe we just sat here and said, the SEC is going to make sure, the SEC is going to make sure, but the money involved, you just, I don't know. You, you hope, you hope, right? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Like you mentioned it earlier, and I think it's a good point. These are still colleges. These are athletes who are not paid. Like public perception is going to play a like a pretty significant role in this. Like, if the co- college football comes back and the public perceives it is not done safely, the outcry is going to be pretty significant. So that's something to watch out for as well that could factor in. But I I would be very surprised, at least at this point, if there was no college football. There's just too much financial kind of incentive at stake for them to come back. Well, that's a great point, though, about the perception before we hop off is they were going to play an NCAA tournament before Rudy Gobert of the NBA ranks tested positive for coronavirus. They were going to do it. And the the blowback, once the, once the NBA goes up in flames about it, the blowback, you know, you can't do this to college kids. This is not safe for the college athletes. And the, the PR aspect of it, I mean, Mark Emmert's admitted like that. The, the the Rudy Gobert situation that changed the game. So, you know, you will always have the, the, the PR aspect of that, especially when you're dealing with college athletics. And then of course you can say, yeah, let's play a season. And then you're just holding your breath and crossing your fingers that everybody's safe and healthy for the first few weeks. So, yeah. Can you, can you imagine like what it would, it would change college athletics forever. If two teams played 
and one person ended up having the virus. And then a month later, 120 people on that field ended up with the virus because they played a football game. Like the optics of that and kind of the problems that would arise in that situation are really, really extreme and really, really weighty things to consider for the NCAA. So I think a lot, most of this, I, I still am of the belief that we will have football, but a lot of this conversation is just completely dependent on how the cycle of this virus works and how it kind of um, dissipates throughout the country over the next couple of weeks. And until that point, I think, I mean, you can certainly talk contingency plans and we're, I think, very much in our rights to do so because these are the important questions right now. But until we have an answer to how the virus is going to act, like it's really hard to know exactly what's going to happen. Well, it's our, yeah, it's our big storyline this, this spring, this summer. I'm sure we'll be doing this every other week or so on the podcast and maybe, maybe we'll have better news in a few weeks to discuss. So Chris, thanks for jumping on. And uh, that's going to do it today, guys, for this episode of the College Football Daily. And again, maybe in a few weeks, we will have better news. But for now, these are kind of the realities of the situation. If you appreciate what we're doing and you want to give some good karma to maybe college football coming back on time, go leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, leave us a review as well if you have an idea of something we should talk about or just a comment in general. Uh, for Chris Hummer, for our producer, Tony Levitt, I'm Trey Scott, and we will see you on Wednesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.